All right, people, let's do this one last time. You know who I am. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. 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 I'm Spider-Man. I'm not the only one. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a Geek Explained Extra series that we're calling Spidey Sember, where in the lead up to Spider-Man No Way Home hitting theaters on December 17th, we are going through every single theatrically released film in the Spider-Verse. We have gone through... Tobey Maguire's trilogy, we've gone through the opening chapters of Andrew Garfield's saga, and now we come to the sequel. Amazing Spider-Man 2, released in 2014, directed by Mark Webb, written by Alex Kurtman, Roberto Orsi, and Jeff Pinkner, and I am very interested to talk about this this was this is the one that i was the most curious on how this conversation would go but of course i am joined by my fellow web heads here we have the sensational chris carter sensational i love it hello all and we have the spectacular aj kincaid well 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 if it isn't another terrible movie to review <laughs> <laughs> This is, this is going to be a fun one. So The Amazing Spider-Man 2, released in 2014, as I said, and many people consider it the fumbled sequel to a very promising <laughs> start in the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man duology. Now, before we get into some of the production, gentlemen, do you remember seeing this film for the very first time? I can see that AJ's making a face, so we're going to go to him first. Oh. oh, God. 2014 was such a bad year. And that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> I Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, like we'll talk off, like off recording. Um Specifically, when do I remember seeing this movie for the very first time? I remember seeing this with an ex-girlfriend. Rock on. And <laughs> that I had broken you, up with. You, so you say flame on. That's human. Flame. Flame. Oh, that's, that's right. That's, that's <laughs> flame on. Um, and yeah, and ex-roommates. And like, it was just a terrible situation through and through. And I remember watching halfway through this movie, just like, you know, this this movie is such an accumulation of the past like eight months with you in that it's just been a nightmare and a train wreck <laughs> on both parts on mine and yours oh i'm willing God. to say that <clears throat> and so spiritually i really do appreciate it and coming back to it but it's just been like i mean you know i learned a lot in that time and i'm happy that i'm in say that i've grown past all of this but my God, is this still a dog shit movie? Uh, Chris? Well, I mean, I, I just want to real quick, what Andrew said, it, or AJ said, that's a great point. Like you can be in the wrong headspace to watch a movie and like, it will destroy that for you. Like, have you guys seen the movie? I'll tell you what, The Breakup with Aniston and Vince Vaughn. Have you guys seen it? I think so. so uh, trailers. A lot of people love it. Like a lot of, a lot of people that are older than you guys, because it's, it's, it's an older movie. <laughs> Um, but a lot of people. Why would you it. like something that old people like? Chris? Well, see, I don't like it where I was going with that was saying 
I hate it because I was going through a breakup and I saw that movie oh. and it just, it, it, it ruined mm. the movie for me. And I, and I haven't gone back since. So I get what, what AJ is saying about not being in the right headspace. And even if a movie's awesome, if you're not willing to accept it, like spiritually and, and health wise and, you know, and, and, and all that stuff, it's, it's just never going to resonate with you. I don't actually remember the first time I saw, um, Amazing Spider-Man 2. I remember seeing it in the theater, but I couldn't tell you who I was with. Um, I remember kind of feeling a little disjointed as I was watching it. Like I, I'm sure you guys are going to really nail some of the points that um we'll get into, but it just felt a little like a um like an old man getting out of bed on a cold day in a winter's day where something's just not right. No, trying so, to figure uh, it out and like, is wow. it raining outside? No, go, go further in de detail with this analogy. <laughs> I, yeah, Keep going. I, I, I want the full story. Yeah, I want the these full two, story. These two pillars of health I'm talking to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, low blow, grandpa. Blow, and, low grow. I know, right? Eric's had more surgeries than all of us. That's um, true. But 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 like there are there are points when you're watching a movie and you know something's not right. It just doesn't feel right for some reason. And there's a yeah. couple moments in this. Um, some of the casting choices I thought. Um, but 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 we'll get into it. So to answer your question, honestly, I don't really remember where I was when I saw it, but when I saw it, I felt like something just didn't click, you know, circle into a square hole type of vibe for me, guys. Yeah, it's it's interesting because. Amazing Spider-Man 2 was kind of this this big old hyped up thing, right? Like we were all looking forward to it, but like because the first movie like actually came out swinging, no pun intended, we were like really interested in the idea of like, okay, where do we go next from this? And when they debuted the suit, my God, the suit, everyone's like, this is going to be the greatest Spider-Man movie we've ever seen. And then we started hearing like, yeah, Jamie Foxx is going to be Electro. We're like, okay, Jamie Foxx is doing well for himself. Electro could be really fun. Okay, there's also going to be other villains in there. Okay, we're, we're, you know, this could still be good. I think they've got as long as they make sure that everything's, yeah, and, it, and it's going to be three villains on top of other villains. And they're getting ready to get this ready for a cinematic universe. And we're like, oh, no. Oh, no. So I went and saw this at midnight because oh that God. is what Eric. we do. Oh, because that is what Eric. we do. Eric. 2014, let me tell you, 2014 was a great year for movies. And it was a great year for Marvel movies because that year saw not only Guardians of the Galaxy, but also Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And I was ready. I was ready to welcome this film into my heart. And I knew in my heart of hearts that it was going to let me down. But I went to midnight. <laughs> I went to that midnight premiere anyway, because I wanted to believe that a man could swing from webs. And when I got there. Oh, man. Um, I walked out of that movie at 2.30 a.m., yeah, thinking did. to myself, I should be asleep right now. <laughs> and that was one of the first instances that I was like, I don't know, man, maybe this midnight premiere thing. Maybe it's unsustainable. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Right. <laughs> maybe this is bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I got to be at I got to be at class in six hours. Maybe I. 
Hmm. Maybe I need to reevaluate this stuff. But <laughs> I distinctly uh, remember seeing that, and that was kind of the first time where I was like, ah, God, they really let me down here, which sucks because the film actually had a lot of things going for it, right? Some stuff on the production end. Uh, this film was shot exclusively on 35 millimeter film in the anamorphic format. I have no idea what those words mean, but I'm sure Chris does. I do. Instead of digital, Chris, <laughs> what does it mean to film on an anamorphic format instead of digital? And what are the, uh, I guess, yeah. um, what are the advantages of doing so that? So most things that you see are anamorphic anyway. An easy cheat real quick is that if you look at what's called bokeh, so like if I'm looking at you, Eric, and there's a, a light on, it's dark and I see a light, like a street lamp and we're out in the street. If it's an oval, it's shot in anamorphic. Most films are shot in anamorphic. The big catch is 35 millimeter film because you there's something innate in, in, in filmies and you know cinephiles would be like, oh, and I'm sure... Uh, Tarantino loves to shoot 35 millimeter film. So the right. vibe that you get with that, the look, the aesthetic, when you look at it, you can see when a film has grain in it and, and it just kind of adds character. I don't think any superhero film needs to be shot on, uh, you know, 35 millimeter print, but what it does, it creates a giant, it's a large scale. It's basically, mm. it's almost IMAX. Interesting. Almost, because when we watch this film, it feels big, right? It, right. The scope, the scale. There's lots of space that shows him really kind of swinging and moving through the city. And that's For what sure. helps this process. That's why Nolan uses a lot of times, you'll see, if he doesn't shoot IMAX, it's 35 millimeter print. That's why Got you it. see how Interstellar looks, which, by the way, came out earlier this year. Dun I'm sorry, earlier in 2014. Dunkirk looks a certain way. You know, Nolan and Tarantino are notorious for shooting anamorphic 35 millimeter or IMAX prints. And that you can kind of see like the inklings in this. So, and it's also, by the way, very fucking expensive. Like it's oh, very dude, expensive to shoot on that format, which we'll get into Dang. on my money corner. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh just, wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. Gotta put it away, gotta put it away, gotta put it that way. <clears throat> anyway, so this film was also really notable for being the very first Spider Man film to be filmed entirely in the state of New York. The entire wow. film, and it, I believe it might be the only Spider Man film to be filmed in, entirely in the state of New York, uh, which is bonkers because spider-man's a new york guy yeah but like before and since it stands alone in that regard which is kind of cool however what's not cool is that as we mentioned before this film was intended to be the start of a cinematic universe and y'all i'm about to run down the list of the films that were supposed to spin out of this so get fucking ready Oh no. First off, we were going to get a Sinister Six film. Next, we were going to get a Venom film. No, not that one. It was going to be worse. Then we were going to get a Black Cat film. Then we were going to get a film about Spider Man 2099. Then we were going to get a female led film that didn't get a cast, didn't get a title, and obviously didn't get any thought put into it. But my favorite, the one that people seem to forget, was on the table here is the Aunt May prequel. The Aunt May spy thriller prequel that was going to spin out of this movie. Yeah, but I, wasn't there a Mark Miller comic that was a romantic comedy or something like that? Yes. <laughs> I just, first off, these films, these right? Films. 
who wanted these films? <laughs> I mean, I could see genuinely if they took the Sinister Six film and made it almost like a maybe like an Ocean's Eleven where they get these guys together and they pull a job or like they play it like Superior Foes of Spider-Man, which where it's just a bunch of fucking knuckleheads like dragging together and trying to come together to take out Spider-Man and they can't. Um, Venom. Venom, we've seen, Venom. we've seen, you know, have success, uh, I would say. And beyond that, man, like none of these films, I mean, it'd be cool to see 2099, obviously, but like, I don't trust them to do that <laughs> outside of the animated <sighs> realm. That's true. But it's true. The production continued on, nonetheless. Um, <laughs> And a big focus was put in on the music. James Horner, unfortunately, was not brought back. I don't know if this squares up. He unfortunately passed away. So I don't know if this squares up with that timeline or if he just simply wasn't brought back for this. But Hans Zimmer, our boy the Zims, was brought in to basically compose this film. And it shows. But <laughs> on top of that, he brought together a Sinister Six of his own, calling themselves the Magnificent Six. This group that Hans Zimmer brought together included Andrew Kaczynski, Steve Mazzaro, Mike Einziger, Johnny Marr, Junkie XL, and Pharrell Williams. And this group that was referred to as the Magnificent Six helped Hans Zimmer to flesh out the score as well as give us some of those sweet, sweet EDM songs. <laughs> but not only were we getting new music, we were also getting a new cast. New characters, new actors being brought in. Uh, starting things off, Dane DeHaan is Harry Osborn. This boy was fresh off of success from Chronicle. Still love that film. And he seemed like the perfect choice. Like, I mean, rich boy who's got lots of issues. If you can't get James Franco, you got to get the Dane (laughs) DeHaan. You got to get the Dane DeHaan. And so alongside him as other villains, we had Jamie Foxx as Electro, which again... Seemed really cool at the time. I thought it was going to be really cool, but they decided to go the other direction. One that I still think is really fun when I watch it, even though it's bad. Paul Giamatti as the Rhino. Oh, man. Alexei Sitsevich. Uh. He actually says, say hello to Alexei Sitsevich. It's bad. And I love it. I love it. We also got in... Notably smaller roles, Felicity Jones as Felicia Hardy, who would later on probably become Black Cat for that Black Cat solo movie. Chris Cooper brought in as Norman Osborn, basically brought in to die. (laughs) Could have brought in Sean Bean for that, am I right? (laughs) And then, unfortunately cut from the final film, Shailene Woodley as Mary Jane Watson. That's right. Shailene Woodley filmed an entire subplot for this film where during the absence, during the several breakups that happen in this film between Peter and Gwen, she would be the next door neighbor running into Peter and the two of them would possibly spark a romance. Who knows? But 
I want to hear what you guys think about this cast, because like on paper, strong cast, real strong cast. But in practice, how'd you guys feel about this? I'm gonna let the actor go first. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I actually really enjoyed uh, Dahan. I I saw Chronicle, and and you and I have spoken about this. And Chronicle might be one of the best superhero movies, not you know that that is under the Marvel flag, um, out there for a bunch of different reasons. You know, I think him coming off that, and then I kind of think that Hollywood wanted him to be something that just didn't work out because then he got a cure for wellness um, after this, and even. Uh, Jamie Foxx on our record is saying that he's going to be the next big thing to work with him now before he blows up. I don't think it turned out that way though. I just, yeah. My- didn't he have that film with um, what's her name? Enchantress from suicide squad. Wasn't it a, a cure for wellness? Like, cause no, it was, that. it was that big sci-fi thing. Uh, oh, power. No, it was, I'm going to look this up. Was Anyway, oh. vamp, vamp. I'm going to. Okay. Okay. So, so oh, I, yeah. So I, I really, I was, ex- and I enjoyed him w- as Harry. I thought he was actually- Valerian. Valerian. That one bombed hard. Although Hardcore. in, although in some countries, and I, Jan, I think Jan de Bont directed. I don't know who directed it. I know it was a big name director that that that. Yeah. Um. I remember it's the dude who directed Fifth Element. The Fifth Element. For, yeah. Maybe it was Jan de Bont then. Maybe it was. Um. That's a good point. So I, I actually, I, I was excited to see him. I. I'm not a huge Jamie Foxx fan. I don't dislike him, but I also don't. I'm not. I'm not. I don't Fair. have my flag in the Jamie Foxx camp. Although he was fantastic in any given Sunday. Although that was kind of earlier in his career. So right. I mean, this done. was around the same time, unless I'm mistaken, as Django. Um, that's a good point. I don't know. Good question. Um, and I loved him in Django. He was fantastic in Django. Um, and, and, fantastic. As Electro, I didn't hate him, but I'll get into it. Paul Giamatti was the biggest waste of talent that I have seen. Uh. <laughs> I mean, in a major motion picture, I I, did, I don't get it. I do. I have no. I don't know why he signed on for it. I don't know why he agreed to do it. Maybe because he was promised, "Hey, you're the guy in number three. Maybe. Um, everybody's got to pay rent, Chris. I, guess, I was gonna I, say I guess everybody's so. got bills. Yeah, I mean Bruce Willis is still punching out twenty movies a year, but nobody God, sees them. It's geez. like, dude, where do you make these? Um, and I was uh, Emma Stone and Garfield. I was back on board for that too because that hasn't that that of didn't course. go away. So yeah, like you said on paper, there were some big names attached to it. So I was excited to watch it. But again, and I want to talk about real quick before I hand this off. Um, the screenwriter, when you said uh, Kurtzman and Orsi, Rob, uh, I think it's Alec Kurtzman and Robert Orsi, mm-hmm. they wrote or they were in charge of kind of rehelming and refreshing the Star Trek franchise. Right. And I believe they were in charge of some of the Cloverfield films too. So they had like, they had writing talent. Like they yeah, were at the chops. Were, yeah, I agree. So, so I kind of blame them. But anyway, to you, AJ, because <laughs> I'm curious to hear it. Yeah, what let's hear what, let's hear what our resident. Ray of Sunshine says about this cast. <laughs> Ray of Sunshine. Um, <laughs> you know, funny enough, like the cast is like on paper and like still in some practice. So I, I think really solid and really still kind of good. I, I'm very excited to see Jamie Foxx back in Electro and a little bit more, I want to yeah, say toned down. It looks great. Yeah. And, and I like, like he's got the the, fuck, the stupid starfish mask, but it's yeah, all electricity. But it's electricity. Oh, it's uh, fantastic. And it's great. The, he's got the Iron Man reactors too, they're saying too. So yeah, like, I don't need that. But yeah, I don't need that either. I don't need that either. <laughs> like, fuck that. Fuck that shit so hard. No, but we you don't understand. We have to have Tony Stark be part of every single villain that 
Spider-Man faces. Oh. He has to be the he has to be the the beginning point. Uh, the catalyst, all the villains. I'd be interested. I don't know. Maybe that's someone like misunderstood. What it's been so far. That's true. It's true though. It really is true. Somebody misunderstood like the the comic book Civil War so hard. Anyway, um, so I, I at times like when Jamie Foxx was kind of like you know post. I didn't like him in the beginning half of the movie. The second half. I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed like what he was doing. This sort of menace of Electro, this really tortured. I didn't like it was Jim Carrey from Batman Returns. Slash Michelle Pfeiffer. No, Slash. Michelle Pfeiffer from Batman Returns. Jim Carrey from Batman Forever. Um, this is a trope in like superhero movies that they continue to push on us. Cat I don't Woman know from why. Catwoman. Catwoman from Catwoman. It's, oh, God. Um, what else? What else? And we'll be talking about Catwoman from Catwoman in our next Geek Explained Extra series. <laughs> it's just going to be four hours of just meh. Yeah. Meh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I can never remember what his name is. The guy who plays Harry Osborne and was in Chronicle. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan. Uh, Dane DeHaan like I I enjoy like in in some pieces and some things I think he's really really brilliant and others I think you know we're, we're we all take like some parts that we're just like maybe not the best for this one I'm I'm very kind of lukewarm on like I can take him and I can leave him at other points like when he's in the goblin uniform I can leave him when he's hairy like I really enjoy it yeah so yeah agree yeah it's it's this thing of just like, I feel like, I don't know. I, I wish that Harry could have been more of like a menace in Peter's personal life than, than as Green Goblin. Because I think that would have been more interesting. And I think it would yeah. have been a little bit, it would have moved the plot better than this whole, oh, I'm going to be, I'm sick and dying and I need, I need Spider-Man's blood, which I'm just like, wow, that makes no sense. Spidey blood, Spidey, Spidey blood. blood. But I guess we're going to come back to that or when it comes to that in a bit. And yeah, Gwen Stacy and, um, as, and, uh, Andrew Garfield. No, it's Gwen Stacy. Gwen Stacy and Andrew Garfield. Gwen Stacy and character Andrew Garfield. and a real actor. God, I'm forgetting everybody's name, right? Uh, I'm forgetting everybody's name in this movie. Um, it's Emma Stone. Yeah, Emma Stone. Yeah. There's there's too many uh, there's too many Emmas and there's too many Chris's out in Hollywood. Never be right enough now. Chris's. There's only How one. How dare Chris. you? How dare you? There's <laughs> far too many. There's far too many. Um, but Emma but we Stone's, value this Chris. We do value this Chris. Thank you. We do. <laughs> Emma Stone's great because Emma Stone's you know great in everything, and it's hard. And again, Emma Stone is a charismatic. It's just a charisma machine, and mm -hmm. it re and really pours in on this movie especially. Yeah. And like the chemistry between her and Andrew Garfield is so great because they're actually in a real life relationship. And you can tell there's like no awkwardness between them on camera whatsoever. And it's, it really is truly great to kind of see that kind of performance and like that kind of looseness to have with another artist and another performer. So yeah. it, that I do think is kind of a gift of this movie of just like, hey, do you want to see what chemistry needs to be in a movie? <laughs> it needs to be this. It needs to be this because if you, this is the relationship you have to have as the center point of your story between these between two actors like this, you can carry a movie for as long as much time as you need. And 
that I would agree. That would that is what I give it a point to, and then pretty much everything else, it's out the window. <laughs> no, but I totally agree. Like the, just like in the first movie, the backbone of this film really is that romance. It really is that relationship, even though they go through like twenty seven breakups, yeah. like. I love the cheesy like after the breakup they see each other for the first time and he's just mm-hmm. like locked in on her he like stops the car as he's walking through he's like no I can't I, I'm dealing with this right now like and then when they come back together and they're just like oh yeah you gotta stop doing that thing with your nose like when you laugh like it is so fucking charming and like just watching them together it is it's magic and if it was just a story about hey let's just tell a story about these two crazy kids in love. Then like, I don't think we'd have a whole lot of the problems that we have in this film. When it comes to the villains, obviously, like Chris said, Paul Giamatti, absolutely wasted. You could slot anybody in there and they would beat the exact same thing. Um, I have trouble with Electro and Harry Osborn, right? Because I think the plot of Harry Osborn in this can be really strong. He's trying to get away from his father's legacy while Peter is trying to get closer to it. It's a great parallel. Um, the two of them having that backstory with each other, having been friends. Dane DeHaan and Andrew Garfield have really good chemistry as friends on yeah. screen. And Dane DeHaan is exactly yeah. like the rich kid that you would punch. Like oh, totally. he's got that face. And other than that, though, like we don't really need Harry Osborn in this as like a villain villain. He didn't have to become Green Goblin. He didn't have to do any of this stuff. He could have been just like bankrolling Electro in a like Lex Luthor style way. And Electro himself, once he becomes Electro, I'm in it. I'm into it. I like what he's doing, even though he's got like some really just bad lines, just really just it's my birthday and I'm going to light my candles. Like, dude, bad writing, bad writing there. However, I like the scenes that they, that they're in together because they're menacing and they do a really great job of balancing each other on that. Um, and I just, I, I love the, I love the effects that they do with Electro here. Oh yeah. Like really, really super well done. Um, Another thing that's well done, I mentioned it before, but I gotta mention again, that fucking suit, man. I love the Spider-Man suit in this. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed the one from, you know, the movie previous. We talked about how like it very easily distinguishes him from the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And, you know, you see the process of him like building it in the last movie. This movie, they're just like, no, we're going straight up comic book accurate as possible. And we're just going to make this suit shine. And it looks great. Mm-hmm. It looks so good. Like this but, is. But not without looking unhuman. Like that, right. that's the biggest knock I have with the Maguire yeah. one where it, it, you could tell or either they I'm sure he was in there for a fair amount of time, but also when he wasn't it had a very human proportion to it, a very tall, lanky dude. And you just, it, that, that red too, it wasn't, right. you just, it wasn't a CGI plop on there. And I'm sure at some points it was, but it didn't look as bad as Maguire's did at some point, but you know, just something to take note of because the VFX is spectacular. They, it, they, they really were in this film across the board. Yeah. They, they definitely mm-hmm. pump some money into those VFX. And yeah. Like, and it shows like the film visually sings. 
It's got bright colors. Everything had all the scenes feel so alive, whether it's just extras in the background or whether he's web swinging, like it looks genuinely really, really good. And it kind of sucks that like narratively, it just feels so disjointed and bloated. There's like, cause there's some really great stuff in here. However, it kicks the movie off right away with a thing I cannot fucking stand about these movies and about Spider-Man in general. I'm going to say this really clearly for everyone. I'm going to get real close to the microphone. Peter Parker's parents should not be spies. I don't care if you think it's cool. I don't care if you want to tell an Aunt May spy prequel. Peter Parker's parents should not be spies. It's dumb. <laughs> so, preach. I just, I, I don't get it. I, I don't it. get it. It doesn't, like... Because the thing about Spider-Man and the whole idea behind his creation, Stanley has said this, is that he created him with a specific design so that anyone could see themselves under the mask. It could be, Spider-Man could literally be anybody. One of the most relatable characters in all of comics. And so they decide, no, he's actually incredibly special. The spider bite reacted specifically with his blood because of the experiments that his father did. No one else could be Spider-Man. And also, he's a Palpatine. Like this <laughs> <Yeah>. is <laughs> and this hypothetical Star Wars movie that I'm really glad they never made. Um, there's this idea that like the main character isn't special. They're just a legacy character and like no like shade against legacy characters. But like mm. we don't need it. Yeah, we don't need it for Spider-Man. Well, it's funny. As you were saying that, I was literally thinking about Star Wars because Jessica made up Jessica had a really good point where. At the end of the second Star Wars, the new one, I'm sorry, and I can't, uh, the Force, I can't think of it right now, guys. Help Last me. Jedi. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Such a shame they only made two. Well, I know, right? Such yeah, a shame. right. Such so a shame. At the very end, when we had that little kid using the Force, like the Force could be anybody. It wasn't yeah. one specific bloodline or another bloodline. It doesn't so, matter where you come from. Right. Exactly. And, and, and you made that point. And, and as you were saying, it, Eric, I'm thinking that's exactly, you're right. And I think that's where, I think that's unfortunately part of toxic fandom that's a dark deep rabbit hole that we can all go down but that's for another that's for another thing <laughs> i also blame like just just trying to find content new for comics and trying to find like because that that was a whole thing in the comics for a good long while yeah. and like both in i think mainstream and in ultimates like they made it so like peter's parents had such a more heavily involved like manner into who he became than they needed it to be like right. uh, like aunt may and uncle ben are just so perfect as is like you don't need to fuck that up yeah absolutely agree and it's like they're again it's it's trying to fix something that isn't broken and i don't mm -hmm. i don't really understand what it because here's the thing like if it if they made it work and they made it like a specific thing that actually like adds to the story in a way that either tells us something new about Peter or enhances the plot in a way that serves the story. Fine. I don't agree with it, but like, as long as you have a direction with it, you could literally chop off the opening 10 minutes of this film, never put it on and it changes nothing about the film. It changes absolutely nothing about the film. Mm -hmm. The whole plane crash scene, like it, doesn't matter and i'm so glad they didn't do this in the deleted scenes there's an alternate ending 
where while at uh, Gwen Stacy's grave, Peter is confronted by his dad who survived. And he's like, hey, I need to tell you stuff. And I mean, in the scene, Andrew Garfield is doing incredible work, but like it's bad. And they wanted to make this some kind of spy thriller. And that's not what this story is, nor is it what it needs. And it's it feels as much tacked on as the stranger anytime he pops Mm. up he's like did you tell him about his father like we don't need that just have spider-man fight spider-man villains (laughs) and kiss a girl every so often like it's not hard and that's just yeah it it's I, I have a thought. So Go ahead, at this please. point in we've a, been ranting, so this please. Is, well, that's okay, but I think that's part of exploring this because I mean the, the movie is, is you know low-hanging fruit, but I think maybe some of the motivations behind it we can explore and there's might be some meat behind that. You know, you wonder about the retelling of Spider-Man, how it starts is consistent. And so if somebody wants to come in and change it, how do you retell something? How do you make it more interesting than just this is what it is, this is what it always will be? Well, then Will it always be that way? Because if that's the case, then you're telling the same opening the same exact way. You're just filming from different angles. You're placing different actors. So I'm not making an excuse for them. I can see the argument for changing it up, although the spy thing, I totally agree with you. But also imagine the pressure that Sony's under. Sony is now seeing the MCU kind of in its kind of adolescence. We have had, what, two Iron Men. This is our, our second Captain America was released meaning Incredible Hulk has already been taken you know, out. We've already gotten the Avengers. So Sony must have been feeling kind of what DC and Warner Brothers was feeling a little bit. Like, let's kickstart this machine. And unfortunately, I kind of feel like the amount of pressure that a studio will put on a singular film to kind of put these seeds into the ground so hopefully it births or grows a film of Sinister Stick, Sinister Six, or a Venom film. Right. You know what I mean? I think that the pressure was on Sony. I mean, we're, we're, we're in, we're making comic book films and there's another company doing the same thing that is just blowing by everybody. So we need to expedite that process. And they made the same mistake, or in my opinion, DC made the exact same mistake following this Sony kind of blueprint. Right. And yeah. I don't blame Sony for trying, but you can blame the execution. So I, I kind of feel like that's kind of why they did it. It doesn't explain how bad it turned out, but the motivation for doing this was, I think, I think there. When for you sure. And I think, I mean, now I don't want to spend too much time on it because everybody under the sun has spent a whole lot of time with it at this point. But it is worth noting the Sony hack that happened yeah. around the time oh, of yeah. the making of this film, yeah. where it was revealed all of these different things that they had planned for spider-man all the different directions they wanted this film to go and it was just bad it was really like it was the emails that surfaced about this film the direction that this it was out of touch old corporate people trying to be hip and young and they wanted to cram too much into this movie without trying to tell a good story and as you said, like the, the DC EU has had that problem. We went through it extensively in our previous series, <laughs> how <laughs> they tried to do too much at once. And the gift of Marvel and the MCU as a whole is that they took the time. 
they took the time to introduce us to one character before bringing them all in. And now, even though they are introducing multiple characters and multiple, you know, properties, they've built up the goodwill and they've built up the tenure to do that because we know, okay, we know they know how to tell stories about single characters. So now we give them a little bit more breadth to explore characters in multiple scenarios where he's here they were hot off a reboot they had just rebooted a property that literally had been re you know a different franchise five years before and after getting a you know not necessarily a money maker hit but a film that had a lot of promise they decided okay now we're just gonna go green lights go everything we're going to put into this movie so we can branch it out and make a universe out of it. I have always had a problem with a Spider-Man universe. I get it. There are a lot of great villains. Spidey's rogues gallery is second, maybe only to Batman's and in some respects probably is better, but you don't need to make a universe out of Spider-Man. That's something that I think is been so nice about the mcu spider-man films and we'll get to them eventually but each film is focused on peter's journey against one specific villain maybe that villain has help maybe that villain has a team regardless of that it is a singular story they are not trying to tell us you know, three movies about the Scorpion who showed up for five minutes in Spider-Man Homecoming. They're like, <laughs> yeah. we're not giving him a full solo film. Like, so I don't, which I think is different from the X-Men because I think the X-Men you can build a franchise out of. But with Spider-Man, when you try to tell too much of a story, if they had kept it as just like, look, these crazy kids love each other. This guy is obsessed with Spider-Man. Let's talk about the idea of Gwen being in love with Peter, this guy being in love with Spider-Man and tell that story. Then I think it would have been much more streamlined. We didn't need a whole lot of the extra stuff that went on top of it. However, I do think that there are things about this film that really work. Gwen Stacy's death is perfect. Like there's not an ounce of fat on there. It is from start to finish, from the moment that even though the Green Goblin looks objectively terrible. Um, <laughs> the moment that he shows up to the moment that Gwen Stacy hits the pavement to the rest of the film is like that back quarter is, in my eyes, a perfect Spider-Man story. Like it is as good as it gets when it comes to Spider-Man storytelling. It's just getting there is so difficult because it feels like there were too many cooks in the kitchen on the production end, on the editing end, on the music end, there was just too much going on. Um, that being said, <laughs> uh, are there any redeeming qualities that you guys have? Are there any uh, favorite scenes that you have from this film? Uh, I love the, the death part of it, like you mentioned, because I, I, I have this thing about superhero films and I'm not siding with, I forget who was saying, I think Ridley Scott said it, or maybe Scorsese. They don't, there, there needs to be Probably some, both. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Two old directors just trying to like stay relevant at this point. Um, there's no, um, 
gravity. They're, they're, the stakes are never as high as I'd like them to be. And I think Eric and you and I have talked about where I really enjoyed the uh, Avengers Infinity War because there were stakes. There were people that we lost and we kind of, we, we built to an emotional level. Mm-hmm. And I think in this film, there was that too. We had grown so close and enjoyed Emma Stone's performance with Andrew Garfield. And we, like you said, they, that performance is the background of a backbone of both these films, just yeah. hands down. Totally agree. And for us to lose one of those characters, it feels like a dramatic film where one of the two leads that you hope lives dies. And so, you know, it, it had that in, I'm sure you two knew that it, at some point this had happened in a comic and you knew that she could maybe die. And um, I didn't know, like, see, I went into this just being there for the ride. Like he's going to save her. And when he doesn't save her, Ooh. it holds the gravity of watching, you know, like a high level dramatic film. Um, and it kind of wipes all the, the, the stuff away because when a film, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to wax here for a little bit, you know, in, in the end, it's a story, right? It's like, like you mentioned, Eric, it's like, if, if we had a story about two people in love and another person that, that, that loved the alternate identity of another person, never mind if it was shot on 35 millimeter IMAX and it had a $200 million budget, you have a story with, with compelling people in it. And when one of those, one of those people die, it just changes everything. Like you are there for that cathartic experience. Both of you are theater actors. It's like when you get to the end of a play and someone in that play passes or dies and just like the emotional resonance that happens with that moment is just, it, there's gravity to it. And that is my favorite part of this film because of, of how it resonated with me. And again, you're, you're right. There was superfluous stuff. The effects were wonderful. Jamie Foxx is a little over the top. Rhino was ridiculous. I just, th- there were parts that you could just forget about. But when you sit and you're there for that climactic moment, you're kind of there for the whole thing. And, and, and even if you remember just that moment, that was not only in my opinion, it's redeeming quality, but also it's, it's best scene. You lost the back one of the first two films. And I would love to have seen the third one to see where the grief carries on. But, but I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to take up most of AJ's time because no, I know he's no, going to speak lovingly about this film. <laughs> exactly. exactly. No, but I, I definitely agree. And I'll get into that in a little bit as well, but go ahead. No, I mean like, yeah, Chris really nailed it. Like the death scene, like especially with her and Stacy, like it's just a character that needed so much respect to it. Like they really nailed it. They they really make you care so much. And again, it's Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield like giving such such a great like time. And I have to say, I think like most of my favorite parts of this movie is like it's them together. And I really kind of wish that the, the relationship and like the main focus was on those two a little bit more. I wish that, I don't know, like part of me is just like, I kind of wish it was the main focus was Electro and we had gotten the death of Gwen Stacy with Electro instead of Green Goblin. But I also could have enjoyed a Green Goblin movie if it was just that again. But that would have been weird because Willem Dafoe nailed it. So yeah, yeah. But I would just say, Gwen Stacy moments. Yeah, totally agree. And there's there's specific scenes that I definitely want to talk about. I mean, obviously, every Peter and Gwen scene, sure. just anytime they're on screen together. But I also really loved the, uh, the little slapstick elevator escape when she's oh, yeah. trying to get out of out of Oscorp. And he's just like, all right, cool. And he just like immediately pops into it like he knocks the coffee on the guy, like ties him up. Genius, genius work. And it's again 
Andrew Garfield's charisma carrying the scene of him just like, whoa, oh, I'm so sorry. And like, just love it. Absolutely love it. The little like heel click he does at the end too. It's just, it's magic. Um, also, every single moment that, uh, or the, the Spidey montage when he meets the kid, Jorge, I mean, he's the little kid who's getting bullied by the other dick kids. And he just like, you know, I'll walk you home. I'm Spider-Man. Like, that's Spider-Man. That's Spider-Man. Yeah. It's not that hard. You already <laughs> did it. Um, exactly. But if we want to talk about, like, the big stuff, like, the Times Square battle between oh, yeah. Yeah. Peter and Electro. Yeah. Like, the slow-mo moments. He gets one of his... Uh, web shooters shorts out so he has to like use the other one to like save everyone from getting electrocuted like he immediately starts with trying to like de-escalate and he's just like hey guys no this is my friend max like we're not gonna shoot at max like it's spider-man that's yeah. spider-man i mean even down to like the opening sequence the real opening sequence when we see spider-man um the swinging in here is top-notch just absolutely gorgeous so much so that they lifted it for the ps4 game it is one-to-one -one stuff that they lifted for that game and that's one of the things that makes that game sing so well um also speaking of you know the things that sing well the grid battle against electro yes just when they're like when they're doing when he's going through the the grid and all of the uh every single time electro hits one of the pylons it makes a sound an edm sound and he like does a fucking the spider-man theme and he's like oh, i hate this song like just or the itsy bitsy spider or whatever but like so cool and just like i said from the grid battle on it's just it's excellent it's an excellent spider-man film um i even love them i love the moment where like gwen's like i'm going with you and she's and he's like no you're not she's like no you don't get to decide for me like this is my choice i'm going with you and he's like okay can you just shut the door and he's like okay webs her hand he's like i'm sorry i love you and just swings away and she's like peter oh, and she like covers her mouth excellent mm -hmm. all of it just so good and then the ending the ending where we have him sh you know we have jorge in his little spider-man costume and you just hear like hey spider-man and he turns ah so good <laughs> just fight like fighting through his grief to like get back yeah. to the job like yeah. that's that's spider-man and i love it and i think a lot of what went into this film you know is a lot of heart because you can tell with the performances the direction but there's a lot of stuff that went into the film that don't ring as true which is unfortunate because this film had quite a budget. It 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 definitely did. But I want to I want to pause that real quick. And as hard as that is for me to pause, Burp, oh, I, I I wonder sorry. why that is though. Like, as I'm watching, they're like there are some real gems in these moments, and I can't figure out if that means it it went too long. Like, if you were to cut maybe. 30 maybe 25 because the runtime is two hours and 22 minutes officially so let's say we cut the part out the very beginning like you said eric about you know the the spies if they could cut another 20 minutes if you could get this movie down to maybe i don't know 190 maybe which pushes it still that's not right. i think if you were to cut half an hour of it 
easily. I think it would be better. And I don't yeah. think it would be better by a little bit. I think it'd be better by a lot. And yeah. because what you're talking about is how I felt about it too. I'm like, why, why, when it just, it just doesn't feel right in certain little places. And because of that, it just, it's like, it's like a, it's like an achy pain. Like, why is this not, why is my shoulder now affecting my wrist? And it just, it, you know, and going back to the old man, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know it. why I did it because I, I really enjoyed it. Like I actually watching the second time around, there was, I didn't have nearly as many problems I had with it that I thought I would. And I really enjoyed uh, the fight scenes like you talked about because they're beautiful. I, I just, it's hard for me to pinpoint a specific scene outside of the death scene because that, in my opinion, was the best scene. Yeah. But when Harry and Peter are talking, like those are good scenes too. Like those two dudes can like, th those two actors really vibed off each other and it reads, it wasn't, it wasn't in all the Toby and, and Franco. It, it wasn't that it felt grounded. It felt real at some points. And then you have the quirkiness of the elevator get go and, and, and just, I don't know, man. Like, I can't tell you where it went wrong. I just know that it went wrong. And that's, that's frustrating as a filmmaker and, 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 and as an audience member, it's like, how do you, you always try and fix something. And it's like, well, if they did this, they would be fixed. But I just, I can't tell you where, but I yeah. can tell you it made a lot of money. Um, Which brings us to Chris's number corner. <laughs> Ironically enough, um, let me get the budget out there first. The budget for the film was 200 million, which, oh my God, 200 million. However, it was less than The Amazing Spider-Man by $20 million. It was Wild. Less, Whoa. It was less than Spider-Man 3 by $58 million. It had the same budget as Spider-Man is, is Spider 2 from, from Toby. So we're looking at $200 million budget. So wait, 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 wait. It cost less than the first Garfield film? Yeah, it that's costs, wild. It costs that is wild. Twenty million dollars, so not like a wow. So yeah, the Amazing Spider-Man was at two twenty. Spider-Man, the, the Amazing Spider-Man two was at two hundred. So, that's which crazy. is interesting because when you look at the numbers, I think people felt how we felt that they were excited about the casting choices, and then word of mouth kind of was right. a cancer that grew big time. Because in the first weekend, it made ninety one million. $91 million, which again, it's not great, but it was better than Spider-Man 2, Toby's right. Spider-Man. It was way better than Andrew, than Garfield's first Spider-Man by the tune of $30 million better. So not, 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 it was better by a lot. The problem was outside of the first weekend, it didn't do very well. So it didn't have very good legs. So for the domestic box office, remember budget was 200. It only made 202 million. So it made $2 million over its budget. Again, taken to marketing, you multiply it times two, you're now, you're nowhere near where you need to be at for the money and the expectations, right? You take it into the worldwide box office, you're at 708. Now 708 sounds big, but 708 is behind the original Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man, which doesn't bode well. And it was, and it wasn't, it wasn't by a little bit. It was, it made 40 million less than, than Garfield's first entry. So the first weekend, if you, just, just by the numbers, the first weekend, it did really well. After that, people watched it, they talked about it, and then you could just see the sharp decline. And it just, it ended up being the, what is it, the fifth? And then we, and again, out of the ones that we reviewed this far, we've done one, two, three, four, five. It was the least grossing one. So 
Wow. Wow. Out of all of them. Out of the ones we've done so far. Okay. So we're going to keep that in mind too. So wild, but yeah. So dang. Yeah, and then you just look at expectations. Like people yeah. wanted, to, people wanted to like it. I think that's what you can really discern from that that big ninety-two million dollar jump in the first weekend. But after people started talking, and again, Eric, you make a good point. Like there were some really good movies that came out this year. Um, gee, and does anybody have the guess for the number one movie that came out in twenty fourteen? Guardians it's, of the Galaxy. It's not a comic book movie. And it stars Autobots and Decepticons. No, which no. Transformers so was it? Age of Extinction made one gross one billion dollars. Wow! It's the next time on Geeksplain. Yeah. Oh, we're going through all the Transformers what movies. It was a good movie. It was a good year for 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 superhero movies. Spider Man Two, number nine. We had Captain America: Winter Soldier, number seven. X Men: Days of Futures Past, number six. That's right. That was the same year too. And Guardians. Guardians topped out at number three. So it was. I told you it was a good year. It was for movies. For movies. For movies. Guardians, Maleficent, and Captain America. Disney had three of the top ten. So wild. Yeah, and uh, and Paramount book ended it with Transformers at one point one billion, and Interstellar was six hundred seventy-seven million. So, yeah, I mean. 2014 was a pretty good year. But again, I look at the numbers and the only thing I could think of that people wanted to, people went to go see this movie. People, I mean, you look back on it and it made more money than Spider-Man 2. It's opening weekend. It made more than the Maiden Spider-Man's opening weekend. But then it, it ended up being the least, that made the least amount of money out of all of them, which people get to talk. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, anyway. And people did talk, which gave it three awards. This film won three awards somehow, even <laughs> though the first movie didn't win any awards. It won the Kids Choice Award for Favorite Movie Actress for Emma Stone. And also won the ASCAP Awards for Top Box Office Film, as well as Top Film and TV Composers. So three awards to hang its cap on. But as we are wrapping up here, gentlemen, uh, final thoughts on the film and uh, what would you give out of 10 for your Geeksman arbitrary rating? I'm going to go with AJ first. Um, you know, Chris, I was thinking about what you said earlier about how could you fix this movie? I think if Electro was handled differently, I think if Green Goblin was handled differently, I think if they cut... Uh, especially the parents nonsense out it would have just really saved it i think if they would have just gone away with the whole sinister six setup and you know had just tested the waters with this movie and then did it but alas that is not what happened and i think just misfires and really eric you said it earlier and it said so many so best and the main reason that always happens with spider-man too many cooks in the kitchen. Um, I would give this movie like it was like a three for me. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's three out of ten, by the way. Three out of ten. I love it. Chris. You know, pressure changes everything. Uh, I think we're all at some point we've all been involved with sports or we've seen a situation where pressure has changed the outcome of something that if there was no pressure involved, I think it might be different. And 
Disney can put such a pressure to put so much pressure on, and this is 2014. I mean, now think that Disney is it. Like Disney's gobbling up stones like Thanos at this point. And it's yeah. fucking at some point we're all, everything's gonna be owned by Disney. And I don't necessarily mean that in a negative thing, but in 2014, when Sony's trying to create something of its own, like like with Venom and and uh and Morb and Morbius Venom. now, you know, it's mm. like so I just think that the pressure that Disney pushes out there for these types of films just crack studios and i think that's what happened here and i loved ender garf i would love to have seen a third one i would love to have seen how yeah a superhero handles grief in that in that instance especially someone who's young and loses someone that they love and i think that the emotional baggage that that would carry with it would really be something and 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 watching andrew garfield do that specifically i wouldn't want to see that with toby and um and Tom is doing a good job. You know, you can see him carrying that with uh, with uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man character, like how that's going. Grief is such a big arc in his story. And I think that Andrew Garfield was really done a disservice by not allowing him to continue in that. But again, what we haven't talked about is, you know, and, and again, we won't talk about it here, is that the discussions between Sony and the MCU and how the Spider-Man property was in flux for a while. And I yeah. think that maybe Garfield was... Uh, you know, maybe he was the guy that had to be sacrificed to save a million. He was the one guy you had to kill to make sure that everybody else lived. And you know, Andrew Garfield is alive. I just want to make it very clear to everyone. <laughs> Andrew Garfield is living currently as of this recording. He is fine um, and healthy. Yeah. Tick, tick, and boom, and watch his movie. Just watch yeah. the movie. Stop asking him about Spider-Man. Watch <laughs> his movie on Netflix. He worked really hard on it. He sings. He sounds great. Just watch the movie watch and don't but but, stop asking him about (laughs) spider-man leave andy alone (laughs) (laughs) i mean it i would say maybe my rating would be maybe a six and a half out of ten no i'll give it a seven out of ten there are things i really enjoyed about it would i watch it again sure i would definitely watch it again is it something i'm going to make time to watch probably not yeah but if it's on i'll sit down and and there are some parts that will really get you um for sure you know but and, and that's me that's me. yeah and, and it's really interesting that you say that like the third movie should have been about grief because that would have been the perfect opportunity to either a do a symbiote story oh, so or good. b craven's last hunt yeah like i am chomping at the bit to get craven in these movies i know we've got a craven movie coming with taylor, aaron taylor johnson it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine but i think no. it would have been really cool to explore grief especially like you said with an actor like andrew garfield who could fucking sell that mm-hmm. um it is a shame because there are a lot of great redeeming qualities about this this movie is better than i remember it being mm-hmm. i haven't watched it in years and i remember and i remember it being a lot worse than this there's so there's so many spider-man moments like the a lot of the moments here mostly like the stuff that happens with jorge like it solidifies for me why andrew garfield is my spider-man like this is my Spider-Man, and I wish that he hadn't been done such a disservice. We'll get into the, you know, the fallout from this film when we get into uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming. But this film really should have been better, um, and it sucks that it wasn't. That being said. Uh, it's not as bad as I remember it being. There are some great moments in it. Like I said, that last quarter of the film is just perfection. Um, so I would honestly give this a five out of 10. Like 
I think that it's weighed down a lot by the backyard bullshit that's going on at Sony at this time. But Andrew and Emma are acting their butts off. Their chemistry is off the charts. There's a lot of pure Spider-Man moments in this. And I could not put this any lower than a five. So that is going to wrap up this session for Spidey Sember. And that is going to bring us right on into next time. Tune in for the next episode where we're diving not just out of live action, but into animation and into the Spider-Verse. Because <laughs> next episode, we are going to be reviewing Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Tune in for that. Very excited to talk about that with you guys. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana, Chris Carter, AJ Kincaid, and we will see you next time.
We're gonna have a lot of fun with this one. I can feel it, especially Andrew. It's fun. When, it's funny when Andrew talks shit. Like that's when we know things it's, are it's the go well. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah, that's how we know it's gonna be a good episode. It's <laughs> when he says, "Hey, I fucking hate this movie. Let's do this." Oh God, I'm Aaron Hansen. <laughs>